please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians 14, 1 through 25 will be our text for the morning. Coming on the heels of the exhortation to love one another, to demonstrate the love of God toward one another, we come to chapter 14, and we're told to love one another as we use our spiritual gifts. And so, I'll start reading in chapter 14, verse 1. Please follow along as I read. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgivings when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are, a sign for are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues... And outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. 
I've entitled this message, The Benefits of Understanding What's Being Said. The Benefits of Understanding What's Being Said. If I told you on a Sunday morning that I have been given the gift of speaking in Portuguese, even though I don't understand Portuguese, that would be of no benefit to you. Now, I'm assuming none of you speak Portuguese. But if you do, that would be a benefit to you. But if none of you understand Portuguese, and I say, I've got the gift of speaking, and I can speak in Portuguese, and then I say, so in today's passage, I'm going to preach in Portuguese, you might ask yourself, why in the world did I come today? And that would not be a bad question. (laughs) See, we're built up by understanding the revelation of God, by knowing what's been taught, knowing what's being said, to speak in a language that someone else can't understand doesn't benefit that person. In the corporate gathering of the church at Corinth, they had a problem with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts were given during that time to benefit the body, to help the body. And it was clear that sometimes God gave the gift of languages, tongues, where a speaker would speak a language and someone would understand it in their own language. Maybe the speaker would speak a language that he or she didn't previously understand or know, and the hearer would know it because that was their language, and they would, be, they would then understand the revelation of God, the works of God, the ways of God. And in the corporate gathering at Corinth, they prized that because it's rather miraculous. They prized it in a way, maybe in a superior way compared to prophecy, they didn't, they didn't prize prophecy as much as they said. Prophecy is when someone comes and says, I've got a word from the Lord, and they tell you and you hear, and that's well and good. And that really, in and of itself, is miraculous also. But there's something more amazing when the person doesn't know the language they're even speaking. That's amazing. So this church at Corinth, who we know struggled with selfishness, pride, comparing themselves to one another, competition, They did that with spiritual gifts as well, and they all wanted the gift of tongues, this amazing gift given by God. But Paul writes here, and this chapter is really a chapter which shows the the far greater benefit that prophecy is, understanding in your own language, than tongues is, hearing in a language that you don't understand. So Paul's trying to show how good it is to understand what's being said. God intends believers to be edified by His Word. We'll see that in this chapter, in this section, 1 through 25. And also, when His Word is understood, unbelievers might repent and respond to God with worship. So, understanding the Word builds up the body, and it also is a way for the lost to come to know Jesus Christ when they understand words, revelation from God. Again, tongues was prized as the highest gift in this church. Prophecy wasn't flashy, but Paul reveals that prophecy is far greater because at least the body understands what's being said. Again, prophecy is the gift 
that was given before the Scriptures were given to the church. There were no New Testament Scriptures given at that time, no way for the church to understand what to do. And so someone would get up and declare what the church should do, and that would be them declaring spontaneously and in an infallible way what God was saying to the church. And they would be built up, they would be edified, they would be consoled, they would be instructed. And so Paul's saying, speaking forth for the Lord as He reveals to you is what benefits the body, is what builds up the body. And he goes on to show that throughout this chapter. So for our outline, we're going to do two reasons that it's beneficial to understand what's being said in church. That's the outline of the passage. Two reasons it's beneficial to understand what's being said in church. And here's the first in verses 1 through 12. When God's Word is understood, it builds up the body. When God's Word is understood, it builds up the body. Paul wants them concerned with the building up of the body, the maturity of the body, through the gift of prophecy, knowing the Word of the Lord as the Lord speaks to you through a different person. Now, again, as I mentioned before, now we don't need spontaneous revelation. You can see 2 Peter 1 for that. We've got a more sure, more lasting Word now. We've got something that's reliable that we can that we all have copies of. So we, we've now got the Scriptures. So, so by extension, you could say that the Lord wants us to understand what's in His Word, and that would be what builds us up into maturity. So we would call ourselves as Christians a Word people. We know that God sanctifies, builds up, makes holy by His Word. So Paul wants them concerned with being built up by the Word of God. In that day and age there, it was through prophetic utterances given spontaneously that were perfect as apostles and people associated with them would speak for God and the church would then be edified, then be built up. So when God's Word is understood, point number one, it builds up the body. Verse one, again on the heels of the last chapter where he's just talked about loving one another, not competing with one another, not trying to compare yourself with one another, not saying that you've got a better gift than one another, but actually loving one another. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Right away, he gives these commands. And the first one is to combine your love with the way you give your gift to the church, serve the church through the gift God's given you. And notice it says pursue love. It's a, this is a great picture. As it, it's as if love is, is moving ahead and you're following after it. So love is going to serve your local church. Love is going to serve the body. And Paul's saying, hey, attach yourself to that and follow along with love. Grab onto love as it wants to go and serve the body. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire to serve the local body earnestly desire to be part of a group that you can edify, that you can help. And here, Paul talks about a specific gift that you should strive for. There's a lot of striving for tongues in Corinth, but he wants them to strive for the gift where they can teach one another, remind one another, exhort one another, comfort one another through the Word of God, by the Word of God. Pursue love. Hold on to it as it goes and wants to serve the body and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially, namely, that you speak the Word of God to one another, that you prophesy. And then he's going to compare the gift of tongues and prophecy in verses 2 through 5. For the one who speaks in a tongue 
speaks not to men, but to God. So imagine someone speaking, again, in a language that, that is not understood by the rest of the assembled congregation. So they're just praying, singing to God, but no one else benefits. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries, and we have a bunch of different translations in this room. Some say in his spirit, some say in the spirit, the Holy Spirit. I believe the better translation is in the spirit, in his spirit. But he utters mysteries in his spirit. He utters mysteries to God, but no one else understands it. Again, if I stand up here and pray in Portuguese, God hears me, understands what I'm saying, but you don't, so it's of no benefit to you. That's what he's saying. And then verse 3, on the other hand, so again, verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks to men, not to God, or not to men, but to God. On the other hand, now he's going to talk about prophecies. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So you can see right off the bat in this chapter, he's showing the supremacy of prophecy over tongues in the assembled church, especially tongues when no one understands what's being said. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. Now that's going to be a, a word that you see over and over in this passage. Upbuilding. It's a theme here. This is what Paul's aiming for. This is what you should be aiming for in using your spiritual gift. It's not for us. It's not for ourselves. It's for the body. Upbuilding, verse 3. Verse 4, into verse 4, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5, look toward the end. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Go down to verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's the goal of having a spiritual gift. You would help the local body. You would help your church. You would help people come to maturity. You would help, again, in the words of verse 3, encourage others, console others, and build them up. Back in verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now, you can see from the context here, that's not a commendation, is it? The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So if you read that and you go, ah, then I'm going to speak in a tongue and build myself up, you're missing the whole thrust of the passage. It's not a commendation. That's a problem. He wants them to be concerned about using their gift not for themselves, but for the body. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And again, in the context, that's what he desires. That's what he's aiming for. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not bad. In that day and age, it was given as a gift. Nothing wrong with it. It's a good gift. But even more, verse 5, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue, unless someone interprets, unless we know what's being said so that the church may be built up. Verse 6, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation, knowledge, prophecy, teaching? If I come speaking in Portuguese, how will it benefit you unless you can understand the information, the knowledge that's being given? Verse 7, he gives some illustrations of this. 
If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know it's being played? Remember that old show, Name That Tune? So, so you're trying to hear, you know, the fewest notes possible and identify what that tune is. Well, you know, imagine a contestant, okay, it's their turn, okay, name that tune. And there's, you know, uh, notes from a flute. And it goes on for like three, four, five, six measures. And no one knows. I, I, don't, I don't know this song. The other contestant doesn't know this song. Actually, the rest of the audience doesn't know this song. And the host says, oh, actually, that's not a song at all. We were just playing random notes. Well, yeah, no wonder none of us know it. It's not a song. Now, when we hear notes that we understand that make up a song, we go, ah, I know that song, America the Beautiful, or Happy Birthday, whatever it may be. Notes have to be arranged in a certain order for it to reveal something to us, so we know it. So he's saying, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know it's being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So the bugle, there were certain notes to, to put together that would identify time to get ready for battle. So if the bugle plays and it doesn't play those notes, you've got a bunch of soldiers just still sitting around. I'm not going to get ready for battle because those aren't the notes that I understand. It's a simple couple of illustrations, and he connects it to them. Verse 9, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you'll be speaking into the air, not benefiting anybody. Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. Again, this is why the argument that tongues are actual languages, this is another indication of that. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of a language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. I mean, that's obvious, right? Portuguese is an actual language, and when people who understand Portuguese hear it, they understand what you're saying. Ah, you're telling me the, the words to that song. Ah, you're telling me that poem. I, I understand what's being said. But if you don't understand Portuguese and I speak Portuguese to you, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't help you at all. You're a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to you. Verse 12, so what's the conclusion? So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, you, okay, so you really want spiritual gifts, then do this. Strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. See that strive to excel there? Go back to verse 1. Notice, notice the striving language, the, the, the going after it language. Verse 12, strive to excel. Verse 1, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit of God wants His people to work at serving the body, their brothers and sisters. So you might come away with this from this morning and think, okay, tongues given early church, prophecy given early church, th then why are we talking about it today? Because the truth at the heart of it is applicable today. God desires His people to strive to serve one another. Strive to build one another up. Here in this passage, it's primarily through the speaking of the word to one another. So let me ask you, 
do you have as an impulse to strive to build up your brothers and sisters in your local church? Or do you just come and exist in the church? Come and evaluate the church. Got your notebook. I like this. I don't like that. Or are you striving to be a means of help to build up the body? That's what the Holy Spirit desires here. So the Holy Spirit reveals to Paul, and Paul reveals it to the church. Strive to excel, to be excellent in the building up of the church. And again, based on the previous verses, we understand that it's to build up the church by speaking the Word of God to one another. Listen, the speaking of the Word of God is not just meant for the pastors and teachers of a local church. We've gone through passages before, Romans 15, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4. We speak the Word to one another to help build one another up. Yes, the pastors and teachers do it, but so does the body. We speak the Word to one another to build the body up. Here in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul doesn't assume that the Word ministry is just in the hands of the pastors. He wants all of the people of God to desire to know the Word and speak the Word to one another. Again, remember the prayer of Jesus in John 17, praying to the Father, Father, sanctify them, make them holy, make them unique, make them separate from the rest of the world, make them mature in the truth. Your word is truth. So make them mature, build them up, make them holy by the word of God. So you see here how Paul is showing the church that you need to understand the Word to be built up by it, and you need to build up the body by making the Word known to one another, reminding one another of the Word, speaking the Word to one another. In a little bit, at the end of our service, we're going to be welcoming a number of new members up here, and we, we do a membership uh, commitment to one another. We, we, we make a commitment that as a member of this church, I will do this and I will do that. And they're all New Testament realities. And a couple of those commitments are this, but th- notice, notice the speaking function of this, the speaking function of being part of the local body. Will you teach biblical truth, word, ministry? Will you teach biblical truth to your family and acquaintances as God gives you opportunity with the desire to see them come to trust Jesus Christ and be saved. That's, that's the speaking of the Word for evangelistic purposes. And then this, will you be willing to both give and receive admonition and instruction? Will you give instruction? Will you receive instruction with meekness and in love? Now again, that, that's not just something that future pastors and teachers in this church say I, I will too. It, it's what all members say. I will try to build up the body as I've given, if I'm given opportunity by speaking the Word to them. It's a great desire to have. That's why, by the way, when we do a training for our Bible study leaders, okay, we're going to be teaching the book of Hosea in our Bible studies leaders. You obviously uh, should be there. We invite everyone to be there. Because that communicates speaking the Word, understanding the Word, and then speaking the Word to one another is an every Christian endeavor. It's not just for those with the gift of teaching. There are some with the gift of teaching, but all of us speak the Word to one another. So by way of application, receive the Word, benefit from the Word, and benefit others by the Word. Build up the body through the Word. 
So point number one, when God's Word is understood, it builds up the body. Secondly, when God's Word is understood, it leads to worship. When God's Word is understood, it leads to worship. Paul's going to show how understanding truth will lead fellow believers to worship, and it may also lead unbelievers to worship. You see both of those groups here in the last verses of chapter 14. Understanding the truth will lead fellow believers to worship and also unbelievers to worship. Verse 13, this speaks to the person who speaks in a tongue, speaks in a language, again, just for our purposes and consistency, uh, me speaking Portuguese to you. Here in verses 13 to 15, Paul's going to say, it's helpful if me, the Portuguese speaker, knows what the meaning of Portuguese is. So it's helpful for me to know what I'm saying. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret or understand. So I speak in Portuguese. Let's say I'm praying in Portuguese or singing in Portuguese. It's good for me to know what I'm saying. For if I pray in a tongue, a language, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I want to know what I'm praying. I want to know what I'm singing. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So it's good, you tongue speaker in the first century, for you to know what you're saying. If you're going to pray, you should know what you're praying. If you're going to sing, you should know what you're singing. And oh, by the way, other people should know what you're praying to. And the other believers in the congregation should know what you're saying too. Imagine if, um, I just say on a Sunday morning, any of you have something on your heart to share with the body and someone stands up and again speaks Portuguese. No benefit to any of us. But if they speak Portuguese and someone says, I know Portuguese, here's what they said. They just recited Psalm 1 to us. Oh, that was, that's helpful. Psalm 1, we know Psalm 1. Okay, so it's beneficial for our hearers to know what's being said. Verse 16, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider or uninformed, someone not knowing what you're saying, say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? And I love this. This is talking about the corporate gathering. And the, one of the things the corporate gathering of the local church is and has been for thousands of years is rallying around the same truth. So when I preach the Word of God to you, you're all sitting under it. We're all sitting together under the Word, and we're all understanding what's being said, and we're all responding to that truth. This isn't just a bunch of individual walks with God. When we sing these songs, you know from Colossians chapter 3, we don't just sing them to God. We're actually singing them to each other also, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So we communicate to one another not just to God, we communicate to one another praise to God, words, understanding. We exhort one another. We say things and we expect other people to say amen or to agree with them. That's why at the end of my pastoral prayer on Sunday mornings, I end the pastoral prayer and what do all of you say? Amen. Now, if I preach in Portuguese, none of you understand, there's no amens. Because amen is, hear, hear, I agree, 
Let it be. I'm with, I'm with what was just said. If I preach in Portuguese, none of you are going to amen. You're just going to go. Okay? So it's pretty obvious here. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Again, tongues were a good gift given to the church. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind, understand what I'm saying so I can teach others, five words, than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, you understand that church was so enamored with this miraculous gift of languages, but he's saying what's important is that people understand what's being said. Verse 20, brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Now, based on the context, this isn't just, hey, be infants in evil. There's a lot of evil out there in the world. You, you know, don't grow up in that. It's, it's more specific than that in this book, isn't it, and in this section. What's the evil that they were engaged in? The pride, the competition, the using their gifts to puff themselves up rather than loving one another? That's what he's talking about. Don't get mature at being proud with the gift that you have, is what he's saying. Don't become mature and grown up in being selfish and competitive with one another. That's what he's saying. But in your thinking, be mature. And then he says, in the law, it's written. He's referring to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28. In the law, it's written, by people of strange tongues, by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So what's happening in Isaiah? Why does Paul of a sudden bring Isaiah into this? Well, Paul's making an argument from the Old Testament that he's hoping the Corinthians understand so they don't continue being evil or maturing in evil. In Isaiah 28, the people of God had been told the Word of God over and over again. And do you think that they listened? No, they didn't. God would speak, they would reject the prophet. God would send another prophet to speak to them from God, messenger from God. Yeah, okay, we're fine. They would continue doing that. And then he says, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they won't listen to me. So, as a sign of judgment, these people who kept saying to the Word of God, eh, 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 all of a sudden it wasn't going to be the Word of God they heard anymore. They were going to hear some foreign language being spoken and coming into their land. It would be the languages of the Assyrians. They'd hear the Assyrians coming with their foreign language, and it was meant to show the people, hey, you've rejected my language, my speech, my words. Now listen, hear that? That's the Assyrians speaking. You don't understand their language. And that was meant to give them, that was meant to show them God's judgment on them. You're going to be invaded because you've stopped listening to me. And so Paul's saying here, God used foreign languages and not understanding as a judgment on His people. Okay, so don't prize not understanding language. That was a judgment then. It can be a judgment on you. You should prize understanding. Prize responding to what I'm saying to you. Prize that. Prize speaking the word to one another in a way that you guys can benefit from it. So it's really a rebuke on their arrogance and trying to have the gift of languages and pursue it and look down at other people who didn't. He's warning them. 
Verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not a sign for unbelievers, but for believers. Prophecy builds up believers. Tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Unbelievers hear the works of God in their own language. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in other languages, tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Now, most people in Prescott speak English. Many also uh, speak Spanish as well, but those are kind of the two main languages. So, imagine a Spanish speaker or an English speaker comes into the gathering of Canyon Bible Church of Prescott, and they're thinking, okay, I wonder what's going to go on there. I wonder what's going to be said, talked about, and they start hearing Italian being spoken. And over here, they hear Cantonese being spoken. And over here, they hear Arabic. What are they going to conclude? People are crazy. What in the world is this? That's what Paul's saying. It'd be great if they would come in, they'd either hear Spanish or English or whatever they speak. But if they hear all these different languages they don't speak, that's strange. Why is this going on? As people are speaking these foreign languages and patting themselves on the back. That's not helpful for anyone. If therefore the whole church comes together again, verse 23, and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if I'll prophesy, that's speaking in the language that others understand. If I'll prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. Why would he be convicted? Because he understands what's being said. He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. Notice, by all. It could be that they're singing truth, and this outsider comes in and they think, that's what they're saying is not true of me. He's understanding what's being said. He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. You see how important understanding is. It's, it's crucial, Paul's saying. You all are so enamored, Corinthians, with this amazing gift of speaking in foreign languages, but no one in the assembly understands those languages. So what are you doing? We are led to worship when we understand what's being said. Some people are led to Christ in salvation because they're hearing things that they understand. They're hearing the word of truth. When God's word is understood, it leads to worship. It reminds us of Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard the Word of God. And oftentimes when we, hear the, when we hear the term Word of God, we think Bible, and that's appropriate. But in this context, in, in, especially in the book of Acts, when you hear the term Word of God, it's speaking of the gospel, the message of salvation. So it's more specific than just His full revelation in Scripture. It's speaking specifically of his saving work. When the Gentiles heard the word of God, the message of his saving work through Jesus Christ, his son, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They were praising the revelation that God had given them about Jesus Christ. So they heard a message that they understood, and it led them to worship and praise God for the message that they just understood. They know what's going on. Knowing what's being said at church 
is important. And that seems like it shouldn't need an argument, but Paul makes the argument. This summer we were, as many of you know, on our sabbatical, and we were in England, and um, our family met uh, a dad and his little girl. Uh, No knowledge of Christianity, never been to a church before, didn't know anything about the Christian gospel, about Jesus Christ. And so, after a long conversation, uh, he was invited to church, and so uh, we met him at church one Sunday, and it was so fascinating to sit in church with someone who doesn't know anything about church, about Christ, about God, about salvation, knows nothing. So, in a way, he was definitely a foreigner in that church service. And as I sat by him, it was, it was such a wonderful privilege to just tell him what was happening. Now we're about to talk to God and tell him that we know we've sinned against him, but that we also know that he's forgiven us of that sin. I mean, I mean think about saying that to someone who has no clue what's going on. And, and he, he, he would constantly go, oh. I mean, that, that, that's moving, like that's something. But he could then hear us talking to God in prayer, confessing our sin and holding on to his salvation, and he could understand that. And then I'd say, now we're going to sing songs to God, and as we're singing to him, we're also reminding each other of the truths about who God is and what he's done. Oh, oh. Okay, now um, we're going to go through these songs, we were in the Songs of Ascent at this church over the summer. We're going to go through these songs that the people of God used to sing as they would go up and travel to worship God. And, and they're, I'm whispering this obviously, and, and they're talking about the confidence they have in God for them. Oh. Now, if the pastor then got up and spoke in Portuguese. That would be of no benefit to this man. But this man could hear and understand. Now, I still don't believe he's a Christian. You can pray for James, if you will. (laughs) Um, But at least he was informed of what's happening. He could, he heard the Christian gospel. He heard it then. He heard it from my wife days beforehand at the park. He heard it from us and our friends that were with us for lunch after church. He's heard the Christian gospel. He under, he's connecting truths. Whether he believes that and entrusts his life to that God, I don't know yet. But at least he could understand what's happening. And that's what Paul's aiming at. When people can understand, there may be conviction given to them. There may be a calling into account. There may be them bowing their head in worship to God. Maybe someone here this morning is not used to church, doesn't know much about Christianity, and yet here you are this morning. I love that you're here. I just want to highlight a little bit about what's gone on today. We have gone through, as a people, we've sung about our need for God. Even earlier in the service, I highlighted that We are in sin, and God spoke His saving message to us so that we could be right with Him. 
I hope that you hear that. I hope you understand that that's what we're doing today. We're a grateful people. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've fallen short of God's perfection. We have not lived the way we should. And we are not okay and happy and secure and hopeful because we'll, we just promise to do better. We are happy and secure and hopeful because we know God came to save sinners. He came to give us His righteousness that we could not earn. I hope you're hearing that message. We sung a song a little bit earlier, and it had these lyrics. Hope you understand what these are saying. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? What, what, what we were singing there is, can it really be true that when Jesus died, that did something for me? That, that did something for my eternity? And the Bible teaches that Jesus died for sinners. He paid the penalty that we should pay. We've offended a holy God, and Jesus stepped in to pay the penalty so we wouldn't have to. So we say, we sang a song, can it really be true that I would benefit because of the death of Jesus Christ? Died he for me who caused his pain. He died because I'm a sinner. For me, who him to death pursued amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, Jesus, being the Son of God, would die for me? That's what we all articulated together. And, and it wasn't just me saying that. All of us who are in Christ sang that and believed that. That's one thing that was going on this morning. And then we sang that in the last verse, no condemnation, now I dread. All of us were guilty before a holy God, and all of us deserve condemnation, deserve God's wrath being unleashed on us because we've offended Him. We didn't want to obey Him. All of us deserve that. And here, we sang the lines that said, I'm not afraid of that. No condemnation do I dread. Why? Jesus and all in Him is mine. Everything, all the righteousness of Jesus all the goodness of Jesus, I get for myself. So when God looks at me, he sees righteousness, not my sin. That's why I don't fear condemnation. Alive in him, my living head. I'm spiritually alive now, and he's my head. So the head governs everything. So I'm alive, and Jesus governs my life. I'm no longer in control. I no longer want to be in control. That didn't work out so well alive in Him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Again, when God looks at me, He doesn't see filth, which is what He used to see, but He sees a righteousness that's divine, that's given from Jesus Christ Himself. It's not my righteousness. My righteousness is filth. He gives me a righteousness that comes from Him. Clothed in righteousness divine, so therefore... Bold I approach the eternal throne. Again, if you don't know much about church, don't know much about the Scriptures, I'll tell you this, that people don't just saunter up to God. Hey, you and I are good. No, we're not. People die in the presence of God. So how is it that I can say, bold I approach the eternal throne of God? It's because He Himself has made me to be able to stand before him in righteousness. Not my righteousness, the one that he gave me in Jesus Christ. Bold I approach the eternal throne 
and claim the crown, claim the reward he has for me through Christ, my own. So if you don't know much about Christianity, about the church, this passage we're in assumes that as you're taught the Bible, this would start to make sense to you. And that's why Paul's hope is that you would be convicted of your own sin like all of us have been, convicted that you've sinned against a holy God, that you do deserve the displeasure of God. We're all in the same boat there. We're just like you. Convicted, called into account. Hope that you would feel called into account today. Tell God you'll stop fighting Him. Give your life to Him. Trust in Jesus' sacrifice for you. Ask Him to be your head who governs you. Hope that you'd be called into account and the secrets of your heart would be disclosed. Hopefully you're sitting there saying, you're all saying that you've been rebellious toward God. I feel that I've been rebellious toward God. That's good. That's a great place to start. That's a good admission. And that you then, knowing that the one who you've wronged has made a way through His Son for you to be right, you would then fall on your face and worship. The Creator God whom I've offended has offered to give me salvation and righteousness and acceptance and love and belonging in His family. I hope that you would then fall down in worship, that you would see Him and be in awe of Him. And again, the whole point of our passage today is God has given these truths that I've just walked you through for your benefit. It's good to know what the Bible teaches. It's good to know what's being said. So believers, don't be children in your thinking. Don't be self-focused when it comes to spiritual gifts. There's no room for competition no room to try to be the best Bible study teacher at Canyon Bible Church. I hope someone says that about me one day. But hey, just put that aside. Be infants in evil, okay? <laughs> just study your Bible and seek to teach your home Bible study group so that they'd be built up. Have that desire. Brothers and sisters, come sing the word to God and to one another Sunday after Sunday. Speak the word to those who are in need, again, for their consolation, for their encouragement, so they'd be built up. Write cards to one another with the Word of God in it. Remind one another of the Word of God. Pray the Word of God with one another. Be a Word, people. So, it's beneficial to understand what's being said in church because when God's Word is understood, it builds up the body, and when God's Word is understood, it leads His people to worship. The question is, what kind of people are we going to be? What are we going to prize? And as you know, in this church, we prize the understanding of God's Word, not just on Sunday morning, all throughout the week, student ministry, youth ministry. Guess what the children are doing today? Yes, they're eating veggie straws, but they're doing something else. <laughs> they're hearing the Word of God. Why? Because by hearing we come to have faith. By hearing, we know how to respond to God in faith. By hearing, we're built up and matured. Youth ministry this week, 
What are they going to do? Well, they're youth. They'll probably eat a bunch of candy. Yes, they'll do that. They go from veggie straws to candy. Yes. But Pastor Josh will teach them the Word of God. What do we do in our Bible studies? We fellowship with one another. We get to know one another. Friendships are formed. Yes, that's all true too. And there we eat baked goods at those, in those environments, okay? <laughs> but we feast on the Word of God. I hope you're seeing a pattern. Okay? The Word of God is everything because the Word of God is what reveals to us salvation and what builds us up for salvation. So, no apologies for being Kenyan Bible Church. No apologies for you sitting and listening for 50 minutes on a Sunday or, oh, another, another Bible teaching. Yes, because that's where the life is. That's how God works. That's how His Spirit works through the Word of God. So, praise God for His Word, right? We have so we have so much to understand about him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the way you've revealed your word to your people through time. Thank you for speaking and for the words to have power. Thank you for the verses that you've used to grab our heart's attention. Thank you for the passages that you will in the future teach us that continue to shape us and mature us. Father, I pray for this church that we would continue to be a people that know the Word better and better, and that that leads to not pride but more love and more sharing with it, sharing of it with one another. Father, help us to be a church that's not afraid to say hard things to one another. You tell us to admonish with all wisdom. Help us to be a church that receives the Word of God, not just when we read the Bible, but we receive it when others speak it to us, knowing that that's how you designed it to be. Help us to not just be a people that speak truth to one another, but help us to be a people who do that, again, because love is communicating that truth. Our hearts are communicating that truth because we love, not because we're angry. We don't want to use Bible verses because we're angry, Father. We don't want to be frustrated and use verses. We want to love our brothers and sisters and point them to your truth. Make us a word people. Make us a love people. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.